All right, we're going to be in John chapter 9 today. We're going to look at a couple other passages, but briefly, you can go there or not. And, uh, but I kind of want to set a stage here for John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is where Jesus heals the blind man. And I, I just kind of want to take a spiritual look at this passage. There's certain passages that hit you when you're reading through and you highlight them as a preacher and you look back at them and you say, man, that would be a good title for a sermon. But the, the verses stick with you, and this one's always stuck with me in Isaiah chapter 42. You don't have to go there. but uh, And we're going to be in John chapter 9. So you can go to John chapter 9, verse 1. But just uh, listen to these verses. In Isaiah chapter 42, the Bible says, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will withhold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. And keep, keep that in mind here as we go, a light to the Gentiles. We know that Jesus came and he was a light to us. He, he brought us salvation. And uh, verse 7 says, to open the blind eyes. Now we're back in Isaiah 42 to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. To open the blind eyes, okay? I'm going to show you the meaning of that verse, and then we're going to get into John chapter 9, but let's pray and get the Lord in this. Uh, otherwise, it'll just be a man up here talking. So in Isaiah, he prophesies to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison. Blind eyes, prisoners in prison, and them that sit in darkness uh, out of the prison house. Now, Jesus did that. He did that physically and he did that spiritually. And when I talk about it in a spiritual sense, I'm talking about the pictures that God paints with this world, and, the, and uh, I hate to say the word, but sometimes metaphors that he gives us to, to show us earthly things, as he told uh, Nicodemus over in John chapter 3. He, he gives us earthly things to explain what he's doing on a spiritual level. And when you get to Luke chapter number 1, you can go there or not, but in Luke chapter number 1, Zacharias John, the father of John the Baptist, he was making the sacrifice, and the angel told them that they would have children. Him and Elizabeth would have a child. And John had a little bit of trouble believing, and the angel struck him mute. So for nine months, John the, uh, Zechariah said nothing. But then the day came when John was born, and they said, uh, he should be named after your family. But then it was then that Zechariah spoke, and when he did, it was essentially a prophecy for all that was going to take place because John the Baptist had a special purpose. He was a messenger of God. He was there to pave the way for Jesus Christ. He was there to preach repentance of sins before Jesus Christ came on the scene. And John the Baptist, he was the one that baptized Jesus. We call him John the Baptist, but there wasn't a Baptist religion back then. <laughs> Uh, a Baptist denomination. But uh, he said in uh, Luke chapter number one, as he's talking, 
Let me see. Uh, just to give you context, in verse 62, it said, And they made signs to his father how he would have him called, talking about uh, his son. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. Now, before I get too confusing, I'm just trying to show you that's for the context that we're in here. And he begins to prophesy about John, about what he will do. And in verse number 67, it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, that would be a whole nother sermon, but I'm, I'm just trying to give you context. This is where he starts. And then... Uh, Go down to verse 78 if you're there. And he's talking, uh, he's talking on verse 76. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, talking about his son, John the Baptist. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Now he's talking about Jesus Christ in this next verse. In verse 79, he says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, you, you've heard the song, I'm sure, I saw the light. And that's a spiritual picture of the blindness that we have when it comes to God. There was a time in your life when you looked at the Bible or when you read the Bible or you prayed to God, you really had no idea, no idea whether there was a God there or not, right? But then the day came when you realized that God was real and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you knew, and I'm reaching back to my memory, but you, you realized that you wouldn't be alone. You realized that God is real. You realized that there is his divine hand on all the events that take place. So I'm, I'm just trying to show you the picture of sitting in darkness and then being brought into the light. He says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then if you want to, you can go over to Luke chapter number four. So we have Isaiah prophesying with this. And we have Zechariah prophesying this. And then in Luke chapter number four, we have Jesus. He's been baptized by John at this point. He was up on the Mount of Temptation, and Satan tempted him, and he countered every temptation with the God, word of God. It is written, it is written. And then when he came down, the first thing that he did was he went into a synagogue. And in the synagogue, they would read. Each would take turns reading. You know, they didn't necessarily have a preacher, but they would each take turns reading from the Scriptures. And when Jesus' turn came, he was in Nazareth. He was there among the people that he grew up with. And he stood there among them, and he read this passage. It says in Luke chapter number 4, verse 16, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and... Recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And when he was finished saying that, he sat down. And then he told them in verse 21, he, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. And it was with those words that Jesus began his ministry. And Jesus began with signs and miracles and, and teachings, <coughs> leading people to Christ, showing people the salvation that God had brought to them. So when we get to John chapter number 9, and I don't know if that was tedious or not, but it takes you from Isaiah and it shows you this picture of being in the shadow of darkness and then being brought into the light. And in John chapter 9, we have a man who was blind from his birth. He was in darkness. And that's not so much what we're going to focus on. But what I want to look at today, I want to, there's reactions that people had when Jesus healed his blindness. And these are, these are reactions that people have. And how you react to the gospel, you know, you can stay in darkness or see the light and come out of it. And not everybody does. One, just read with me a little bit. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Notice first that Jesus saw him for what he was, blind from his birth. Nobody had to tell him. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Number one, there's some people that just see the sin. Someone that, before they get saved, They've lived a rough life. There's people that have been down some rough roads. You go up to the jail, there's people that, there's things that are said sometimes that make you pull back. But there's people that have lived in sin. And there's some people that have lived in less, some people have lived in more. But there is a life before, and that's the life of darkness, a life without God, a life without Jesus Christ. And the disciples say, Who, whose fault is it? Because when they see the, when they see the, Symptom. When they see the blindness, they see it caused by something. And there's a lot of times we see someone's life and we see it caused by something, right? We might be looking at the symptom. And I'm just going to kind of go over these, but he said, uh, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now remember, I showed you that Jesus was there to heal the blind, to, to give sight to the blind. But it wasn't just in a physical sense. But here in this case, it was. This man was blind. He was in Jesus' path. It was so that God could show his works. There are things that happen in our life, and, and we want to blame God, or we want to blame things. It may just be that that's how life is. I was reading, uh, uh, it's no secret, Dee Dee was in the hospital for a month. And uh, it's no secret that she deals with Crohn's. Maybe that's not my story to tell, but it's something that we've dealt with since 1991, I think. It's something that she's had to deal with. And it's rough. And it causes problems. And there's other people that have things that cause problems in their life. And to blame God for that because everything's not right. It's just not the way to do it. It's not to blame God, but it may be 
is for God to work in our lives. It may be, it may be a thorn. I don't know what it would be. But Jesus said, this man was blind from his birth. I'm stirring up a little bit. You'll just have to follow along as we wander through the maze. But Jesus said it was so that I could work the work that I've been sent to do. We saw that prophecy all down through. All right, so when he had thus spoken, he said, verse number five, look at this. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay? And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made the clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Now, we had the disciples that saw him, and they saw the sin. We had the neighbors that see him, and they see the change in his life. We don't see how they reacted to it, but they, they doubted it. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that, he was, that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And they remembered his former life there. Verse number 9, some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. And then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. And they brought, to the, brought, him, brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. They brought him to the Pharisees. And it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and had opened his eyes. And then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. There's people that see a change in someone's life, but they remember how they were before. And sometimes that never leaves them. I was studying for this and I went back over a, a, a Similar sermon I preached from the same passage back in 2008, and I had forgotten about this incident, but I remember a Bible study where we were gathered around for Bible study, and there was a stranger that come in, a, a fella, and uh, we're, we're sitting around for Bible study, and he's got his Bible, and he's got his pens, and as we're, he's, he's really into the Bible study, you know, and we were talking about his pens that wouldn't uh, go through the page and all that, but you, you, you just saw how excited he was about God's word, and you just saw him as he was in that moment, and his eyes were open. He was seeing God's word and getting excited about it, and I remember one of the members kind of pulling me aside afterwards. He's like, well, that's my, uh, that's my brother-in-law. He spent some time in prison, and he's, you, you got to be careful trusting him. Because he's done a lot of bad things. There's neighbors that knew how he was before and don't want to let go of it. Well, he's, he, this is the one that was blind from his birth. This is the one that sat and begged. Jesus gives you new eyes. Jesus gives you a new life. Jesus gives you a new heart. And some, but it's sometimes it's the people around you. And this is just a side note. It's sometimes it's the people around you. And it may be us that don't want to let people forget about the past 
that they've broken away from, the darkness that they were in before they saw the light. Now, when we get to the Pharisees, this is kind of where I want to sit. Because it's a cautionary tale. You see someone change. Don't keep dragging them back through their past. But the Pharisees here are kind of the focus of this message. Because when they bring him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees ask, how were you healed? The Pharisees are the ones that know their scripture. The Pharisees are the ones that have written recommendations on how to follow God's law. They, they had the Torah and they had their notes that they'd written and they, they loved to debate God's word. They loved to really get into God's word and just really parse it out. Well, what did he mean when he said this? Well, you go down this path and, and God would have done this and because man does this and God does this and you start off with this foundation and start assuming things and then before you get off, and what they've done is they've, they've gotten themselves in such a position that they're the ones that go to for the law. They're the ones that go to to learn about the law and to know what God's will is and to know what God's doing. And they, they, nobody had Bibles in their hands. They had to trust them for it. They take him to the Pharisees. And he told them what happened. He said unto them, he put, they, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. In verse 16, so we have the reaction from the religious crowd is what I want to call this. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God. And they were talking about Jesus. Why? Because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Now, he didn't keep the Sabbath. So he can't be from God because God made the Sabbath. Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus told him about the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the one that created it. He's the one that can break it. But they said because he broke the Sabbath, they said this man is not a God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Well, he's sinning in this way. He healed they called that work. They had that narrowed down to such a thing that you just couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. They had all of it worked out on what you could do, what you couldn't do. And if we're not careful, we can get everything so worked out. I've heard about preachers that said, you know, when I first started studying revelations and dividing up the word and everything, he said, I could tell you who sold. It was Adrian Rogers. He said, I could tell you who sold umbrellas for the millennial reign. It's a joke. There's no umbrellas. It's the millennial reign is R-E-I-G-N. I just want to be clear about that. But he was making the point. He had it so worked out. He could tell you exactly what was going to happen. He said, but the older I get, the less I'm sure about it. And let me tell you, so I, you know, I thought of something. I, I gave it in Sunday school this morning. You know, you don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets you. It interprets your heart. It shows you your flaws. But here they had everything figured out. They said, this man can't be from God because he broke the Sabbath. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them, and they loved to argue. 
Verse 17, they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Verse 18, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. Now here's another group of people. They knew that he was blind from his birth. But, you know, the... the Neighbors, they were concerned. They were concerned about how he used to be. The disciples were concerned about how he was and what caused that. But the parents, they're at a little different story, because here they are brought before the Pharisees, and they asked them, saying, "Is this your son, verse number nineteen, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see?" Verse twenty. His parents answered them and said, "We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind." But by, what, but by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. Who sh he shall speak for himself. <laughs> and then look at verse 22. Because some people are afraid of their reputation. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And some people are afraid of their reputation. If I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I've got to change things or I'll be one of them. There's a song, uh, uh, Davy Shelton used to sing. And I'd always wanted to sing it here, but I just, you know, I, I gave up on the singing thing. But he said, how I came to love those pilgrims is to me a great surprise. I, I don't know if I can say it all without saying it. But he says, uh, huh? how I came to love those pilgrims is to me a great surprise. And the way the Lord has led me is a wonder to my eyes. Oh, I said I'd never be one. But I'm happy now to say that although I used to hate them, I am one of them today. And, uh, you know, put aside your pride. It's a personal relationship. So many people get wrapped up in, and I've seen it online and places like that, but so many people get so wrapped up in Religion does this. Religion does that. And I want to argue. I want to say, no, no. But then I remember the Crusades, and then I remember what this church did, or I remember what this pastor did over here. You know, and, and there's not good things going on everywhere. But let me tell you something. Are you afraid you're going to become like one of them? Are you afraid you're going to do what they did? It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the thrust of the message. This is what I'm trying to get to because you have some religious leaders and they are rejecting the very God before them. I took you into the Old Testament and showed you where Isaiah was talking about bringing light, you know, to those in the shadow of death and opening the eyes of the blind. Isaiah talked about it. Zacharias prophesied it about his son John the Baptist, who foretold the way for, or, you know, he prepared the way for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ opened his ministry with that, that he was bringing light. And here they had the light in front of them. 
And this is what I want you to keep a hold of. They have the light in front of them, but they stay blind with the light right there. Because they got it all figured out. So the parents were afraid of their reputation. They said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. We know, we know, because we've got it set down. We've got it divided up. We, we know, we've, we've read it, we've debated it, we've argued it. We've got this figured out how God is going to show up, how the Christ is going to show up. He's going to come on a horse and he's going to rescue us from the Romans and he's going to deliver us and we're going to be a mighty nation like when David was king. Now, I'm adding that in there, but that's what the Jews were looking for at that time. They weren't looking for a humble servant. They weren't looking for the Messiah that would die on the cross for their sins. They weren't looking. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But they're so caught up on the Sabbath day. They're missing what's right in front of them. <clears throat> they say, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen. Amen. And when you get saved, you don't know how to explain to anybody. You don't know how to tell other than he saved me. I don't know how to explain it to you. People ask questions, and they say, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about... Tell me, how, how did, what's changed in your life? I don't know, but now, whereas I was blind, now I see. Whereas I looked at here, and it was ants on a page, now I see. And somebody tries to tear it apart, and they say, well, this is a con conflict, and this is, this is a contradiction. And it's like, I don't know what you're seeing but I see something different. Over in, you don't have to go there, but unless you want to, you can make the note, but 1 Corinthians chapter number two, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth and he's telling them, he's explaining to them how they're carnal and they're blind in a sense. And he's talking about seeing things spiritually because we understand things through man's eyes. And that's what he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse number 10, he said, But God has revealed them to, unto us. Hang on, verse number 9, let's go there. He said, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He said, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man? You understand that. They argued back and forth, and they got the law established and how the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come. And they were arguing from man's viewpoint. They weren't seeing things from God's perspective. He says, for what man knoweth, verse number 11, the, the, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, and that's a little s, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit, big S, of God. In other words, only God knows the things of God. 
I told you before, Jesus uh, brought things down into parables. Jesus brought things down to our level. He described the Holy Spirit as a wind. No man knows where it blows or where it goes. He said, but you know that it's there. And he said, that's the way the Spirit of God is. He explained things in terms that we could understand. Verse number 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, and he's talking to the church there. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It's through God's Holy Spirit that we can see what he's trying to say. So when we see a blind man getting healed, it's not just a miracle performed on a blind man, but we see that picture of salvation. We see what God does for us. We, we were blind. We were in darkness, and God opened our eyes. And he said, which things, uh, verse number 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And verse number 14, this is really the key verse, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, the natural man, if you have no prayer in your life, if you have no reading of God's word, you have no relationship with God. And I don't mean that you're not saved. What I'm saying is <laughs> you're going to find yourself running dry. That's a whole nother metaphor, talking about spiritual life. You're going to find yourself not, your, your prayers hitting the ceiling. It's like you pray and you can't get past the ceiling. It's like you just don't feel that closeness with the Lord like you used to. But he said, A natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. All right, now we go back in John chapter 9. Now we talked about God revealing things. We talked about God revealing things. Verse, uh, verse 25, he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And I love the way he gets back at them. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And in verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. And he said, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? And here's the blind man right in front of him. He sees what God has done, and he sees the miracles that's been performed in his own life. Verse 33, they stay blind. He said, if the, they say, if this man were not of God, or he says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 35, 
It'll all pull together here at the end if you're lost a little bit. But verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when they had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? In verse 36, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? He wasn't sure. He knew that the miracle had been performed. He knew that he'd been blind from his birth. He knew that something had changed. He knew that before he was blind and now he sees he says, who is he that I may believe on him? In verse 37, and Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am come into this world that they which see might not see, and that they which see might be made blind. And he said, I am coming to this world that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, and therefore your sin remaineth. Now let me pull this together for you because I just read that, left it up to you. One thing I see is in the blind man and seeing the light in the reference, Jesus said, thou hast both seen him. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to believe, what's my quote here, the things we see we want, but the things we don't see is hard to want them. We see the world around us, it's easy to want. And we can get caught up in what's right in front of us. Now, it's easy to dump on the Pharisees because they deserve it. Jesus was basically saying, I'm going to show you. You were blind. I'm going to show you things that these men who say they can see everything can't see. Because a natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. Over in John chapter 4, he told the woman at the well, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm telling you, in your Christian walk, if your Christian walk simply involves going to church, if your Christian walk simply involves identifying as a Christian, your eyes are shut. God's not showing you things. You say, I read the Bible, I'm just doing it. It's just happening. It's a, I'm not going to get into that. The, the discussion of whether you ought to read it anyway. But whenever you read, whenever you're around the things of God, if you simply approach them as something that you do, something that you have to do, and you just work through it, and if you're, say, you know, we don't have many programs here. If you're in a bigger church and you're going to the programs and you're, you're working in the kitchen or you're working in something and, and you're doing all of this stuff and you're showing up every other day of the week. And this is what happens to people. This is where corruption comes from in a church. I'm just throwing this out there because they're around the things of God, but the things of God aren't around them. Their heart is in their work, but their not heart isn't toward their Lord. You're, in order for you to be complete as a Christian, 
You need to be walking with the Lord. You need to be in a relationship with the Lord. Now, all that leads up to this. I've got two illustrations here, and they, they struck me kind of deeply. One is from a book called uh, Dangerous Calling, and it's written to preachers. And it's written about that, the atmosphere around preachers, the scholarly atmosphere. Just as these Pharisees, this will give you a picture. This will sh- kind of show you the mentality back then. Paul Tripp wrote a, uh, I put here, one of the best illustrations I found for what it means to do God's work while remaining in darkness. And he was in school. And he was uh, studying. He was taking apart Romans as part of an assignment. He had his notes and he had everything. He describes it here. He says, it was a moment of greater insight than I realized at the time. I look back and see it as a sweet moment of divine rescue. Just the kind of grace that was to be the passion of the ministry to which I had been called. (coughs) He says, I was exegeting my way through Romans. And if you don't know what that is, it means we'll call it working your way through Romans. He He was going into the Greek and determining what everything meant in the Greek. And he was putting it together and tying it to this and that and explaining things. And listen to what he did. I wish I could do this. He said, I was exegeting, not because of the results he got. <laughs> I just wish I could do this. But he said, I was exegeting my way through Romans, Paul's foundational gospel exposition. I had taken a bound, legal-sized notebook and cut a square out of the top right-hand corner of every third page so I could glue a page of the Greek text on both sides of the page. I would then fill the pages with corresponding exegetical notes, sermon outlines, and illustrations. It was an exercise that brought all of my recently taught and newly acquired ministry skills together. He said, I found the exercise challenging and exciting. Are y'all following me on this? He's got a notebook going that makes a conspiracy theorist, you know, Look like he's just working in crayons. You, you can picture the bulletin board with all the threads and the index cards and just tying things together. But he's doing it with Greek in a notebook. He said, I, uh, I found the exercise challenging and exciting. I felt proud that my notebook was filled with the notes on Romans. I was engulfed in an intoxicating world of language, syntax, and theological argument. I labored over tenses, context, objects, and connectors. I studied etymologies, that's the origin of words, and the Pauline vocabulary. I tried to connect every minute detail to the overarching intention of the author. I consulted all the experts, weighing insight over insight and opinion against opinion. Countless hours of disciplined private study were represented by page upon page of legal-sized page notes. It was all very rewarding. And that's the part I wish I, could, I wish I could study like that. But I don't like the result. Because he reached a point. He had this notebook going, and he, he had notes from classes. He had sermon notes. He had all of this in that notebook. And you look at him, and you say, man, he is really into the Word of God, right? He said, one evening, hours into exegeting the next section of Romans, It hit me. 
He said, I had spent hours each day for months studying perhaps the most extensive and gorgeous exposition of the gospel that has ever been written. And I had been fundamentally untouched by its message. He was working in Romans. You know, Roman, the book of Romans changed. Uh, it started the Reformation, essentially. He said, the message had, had little impact on me. It had all been grammar and syntax, theological ideas and logical arguments. It had been a massive intellectual exercise, but almost completely devoid of spiritual power. And there's times, and there's been times for me, there's times for other preachers, and I've thought of Samson. You remember, you remember Samson and Delilah? You remember the strength that Samson had? You remember how many times that, uh, and I never understood it, but how many times Delilah would beg, please give me the secret of your strength, and he would tell her this, and he would tell her that. Well, every time he told her that, she did it to him. So she must have been quite a woman. But there's one time when he finally told her, and he finally opened up, and he said, if I cut my hair, that's the source of my strength. And then she woke him up, just like before, and she said, the Philistines be upon thee. And he said, I will go as at times before, and knew not that the spirit of the Lord had departed. And, you know, sometimes that's what it feels like for a preacher. You say you'll get up there like times before, but you, you preach, and it just feels like the spirit of the Lord departed. You, you get up there on your own. I'm talking about keeping a relationship. I'm talking about not getting caught up in religion. I'm not talking about not getting caught up in work, but remembering to stay close to the Lord, to remember to pray for him for guidance, pray to him for guidance. He said that while he stared at those pages, they didn't even seem real to him. None of it had touched his life, his struggles with sin. He thought of everything he had done in school and broke down realizing that none of it had been working in his heart to change. And that's me summarizing some of what he said. He said, that evening with my exegetical notebook in my hands, I learned something about myself and about the scriptures. My eyes began to open to the dangers inherent in academizing our faith. I'm throwing big words in there, but in other words, in getting so caught up in the academics of God's word and not letting it touch you. He said, I've personally experienced what can happen when the gospel of Jesus Christ gets reduced to a series of theological ideas coupled with all the skills necessary to access those ideas. Bad things happen when maturity is more defined by knowing than it is being. Danger is afloat when you come to love the ideas more than the God whom they represent and the people they are meant to free. Remember the Pharisees? They said, he did this on the Sabbath. No man that would come from God would do this on the Sabbath. They had it exegeted. They had it figured out what God would do. They could tell you who was selling. Well, they couldn't, but... They could say who was, tell you who was selling umbrellas for the millennial reign. So this was what, and this is me, this is what Paul was talking about when he said in Philippians, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Jesus Christ. Now talking about a preacher getting up, I've been 
I've really got to sit and read this straight through, but I just keep jumping through. It's Jim Elliott's journals. And it's just really remarkable reading about his life and his devotion to God. And, and, and they, were going, they would go every day, and they were giving medicine to people. They were ministering to people. It was, it was more than what had happened at the end. It was so much that was done before. In, in the tropics and suffering through fevers and the people that were, you know, and him helping them and doing a Bible study for them. So he writes on January 16, 1955, which wasn't too long before his final, uh, if you've seen Into the Spear. He says, cast down on this Lord's Day morning, just came up from Colto, or meeting, with 25 Indians, mostly schoolboys and young women, Felt as though I preached powerlessly without unction, and the resultant effect was evident. <coughs> Restlessness, interruptions, playing, almost no adults come. Vicente, his wife, and Kuas and Apuchus, no adult men. My first thought is that they have tired of the preaching, that they do not enjoy it. I may be preaching too hard. Then I think that I am worried too much during the week with the finishing of the house, right up until Saturday supper. Translated and preached from Titus 1, but felt little life or even continuity in what I said. He says, I have paid dearly for giving up my early quiet time. And it sure is obvious in my preaching. Oh, and I almost left out when he was talking to the Pharisees. They said, are we blind also? And he said... If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But you say that we see, so your sin remains. You got it all figured out. And Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. You can have things so figured out that you're not even open to what God's trying to show you. Your Christian life cannot be separate from the Spirit. It can't be. You, you won't learn. You won't have discernment in your life. You won't have a spiritual walk. You won't have the reassurance of your salvation. You'll, you'll be going through the motions. But inside, you'll be a lifeless husk because it's a Spirit that fills you and draws you close to the Lord. And uh, if you'll stand...